first, I want to read you a couple of poems. Now, one is called Life in the Weaver. Life is a woven fabric. The pattern and the web are wrought by the dark threads and the golden that into the loom are shot. You cannot judge God's purpose by the thrust of a single thread. What to you may be dark and mysterious may be gloriously bright instead. For he holds in mind a pattern as fair as his love is strong, which grows each day in the weaving. Not a single thread goes wrong. No warp in his hand shall tangle. No slumber his eyelids close. We only can thwart his purpose when our stubborn wills impose. Our tangled and broken efforts to walk in his kind commands will give life to an added luster restored by his loving hands. So trust in the weaver's wisdom, in his love and unfailing care, and the fabric of life completed someday will be wondrously fair. Isn't that beautiful? Then I read this one. It says, What God has promised. God hath not promised, the sky's always blue. Flower strewn pathways all our lives through. God hath not promised sun without rain, joy without sorrow, or peace without pain. But God has promised strength for the day, rest for the labor, light for the way, grace for the trials, help from above, unfailing sympathy, undying love. Hallelujah. Well, the way I feel, if I have all of that, I can make it. And we have all of that. God has a way of bringing to our minds certain things that, not that we ever forget, but that we need refreshed on our minds continually. In other words, something that's in the back of our minds constantly needs to be brought to the front of our minds again. So Peter, speaking in one place, he said, I know that it's necessary as long as I'm in this tent, this earthly body, to stir up your pure minds by way of remembrance. Though you knew these things. So it's a, not a question of whether we know them, but in the press of life, and because we're really very limited in our mental powers and our spiritual powers, now we think, you know, some of we're pieces of dynamite and so forth. But the fact is, we're not really in the scheme of beings that exist in this universe. We're really not very high up on the IQ ladder. And nor are we very high up on capacity. See, angels are greater in might and power than we are. We have very limited capacity. They can travel through space and time. Uh, they can disappear, move in and out of eternity to the time realm at will. Uh, they're greater in mind power. I mean, just we're pretty well down the ladder. So the truth is that what we need is help from above at all times. Otherwise, we are not able to thread our way through this complex world, especially when we realize that Satan is waging war against us continually, and his emissaries are constantly waging war against us. And so a complex pattern, he tries to develop a tangled web that will catch us in a trap. And we are sometimes our own worst enemies, because having absorbed his lies, they're deep in our own spirit and mind. We don't even know it sometimes, and that's why we need to be transformed by the renewing of our minds, so that we can prove what the will of God is. And we do not know the will of God automatically, and sometimes even when we read it from the Word, our minds are so dull, and that's what uh, David was speaking about. He said, I was so brutish. I was as a beast before you, O Lord. In other words, uh, we look at a 
beast and we call it a dumb animal because it can't speak. But also we believe its intelligence is much lower than our range of intelligence. We understand complex concepts that, say, a dog or a cat could never understand. And so we say they're further down on the level. And here's David saying, I wasn't even as smart as a human, which isn't too smart anyhow, but I was really like a dumb beast before you. I was brutish, O Lord. See, I had no real understanding even of a man, much less of an angel or yourself, O Lord. So he says, constantly enlighten me then. That was his prayer. Enlighten me. Open my eyes. Give me understanding. And Paul's prayer was the eyes of our understanding would be open, that we would perceive what the will of God is, the length, the depth, the breadth, the height of God's love. Without that enlightenment, we would never understand anything too much. Uh, we're not even enough to keep alive in reality. Now, one of the functions of God I want to deal with in the New Testament. Because if we miss this one, and I saw as I was ministering, so much of my life has turned around from some course of action that I was following, which was basically a good course of action. But remember what I said, it's always good to give up the good for the better. And always good to give up the better for the best. But we are not able to distinguish, because when I see this, it looks very good to me on a short-term basis, or whatever base of understanding I have. And unless God reveals to me, no, son, this is better. Well, Father, what is best? Oh, well, this is best. And that might be completely different from the way I'm going. So over here is the way I'm going, or I intend to go, and then God swings me around, and this is the way I, in fact, go. Now, what brought this up, we were discussing how young people came to me years ago, and they asked for a place to stay and a place to minister. And because I didn't like the way they were dressed or the way they talked, they spoke in King James English, dressed in real kind of raggedy clothes, and then uh, you know, had funny face markings. One of them did still. He wasn't. He was saved, but not quite saved or something. And another one, he had embroidery all over him and the headband with this, and they sit there and look at you the whole time without ever taking their eyes off you, you know, which is not the thing to do normally, you know. Any event. I was getting ready to tell him, you know, well, I don't really have a place for you. As a matter of fact, I was going to lie is what it was, because I did, in fact, have a place. But it's, it's not lying if you understand what lying really is. See, uh, and you understand there are white lies, gray lies. <laughs> no, just lies. So if you either tell the truth, you don't tell the truth. So I was getting ready not to tell the truth. But I go to in a very sincere Christian way. I was going to say, like, <laughs> I was going to say, now, boy, I... Uh, Man, I wish I could help you. I just, I just don't have a thing, though. I just don't. And, but I tell you what, Williamson, he's out of the realty business now, Williamson, he deals in rentals, and if anyone could help you, he'd be the man. See, I was just getting ready to shoot him right out of the office and say, thank you, Lord, for delivering me. See, now, actually, I would have praised the Lord for delivering me from this funny group that came to me. But that funny group that came to me was, in fact, God's perfect will for my life. The dark thread that was really golden, the odd happening that was really a new opportunity by which my whole life would turn around and many people would be affected for good. Then a voice spoke to me, and that's what I want to talk to you about today. Not that particular story, but a voice spoke to me. Something happened, very clearly went through my mind but in such a way that it was very clear, a speaking. If you have it in the power of your hand to do good, and you do it not, 
then how does the love of God dwell in you? See, God knows our thoughts are far off, so he sees this thought, here it is. Matter of fact, when did he know about that thought? See? And here he's watching me, and here's this thought, and... And the thought is quenched. I stop like this and say, well, I just remember I do have a place. See? And that began a whole new ministry. But what was that voice? What was that transforming revelation that came at that moment? See, I wasn't reading the Bible. Preacher didn't come in and prophesy. It's a very personal, direct mediation between God and myself. And I want to talk to you about that this morning because that is a very vital part. If you're going to bring dreams that are in your heart to pass, you will need help beyond your normal help. You will need a spiritual impartation that goes beyond just merely some carnal application. And I would be very grieved and upset in my mind if you take the things that I'm ministering here these last few weeks and try to put them to work without Christ Jesus himself operating in your lives. See, that's the thing that needs to be understood. So I'm going to speak about a very important New Testament subject, and uh, really not a subject at all, but a person. And that person is the Holy Spirit. Now the Holy Spirit, you think of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Theologically, he'd be the third person of the Godhead. Some say he would be equal to, in authority, to God the Father and God the Son. Others would argue about that. One thing is certainly true. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, that is God. So whether the Spirit of God is speaking, that's God speaking. If it is the Son of God speaking, that's God speaking. If it's God the Father speaking, that's God speaking. And we need to learn to hear God's voice in our life. Because sometimes you'll be in a place where the only thing that will keep you from danger, or the only thing that will lead you on, or the only revelation you can have, is that voice that will speak to you at that moment. Just like at times the Word will speak to you, at times, but at times the Holy Spirit himself will speak to you. Now, point number one I want to make here, but before we do it, I want to pray now. We've got the theme. I want you to pray with me. Say, Lord, enlighten us. That's You pray with me as I pray. Father, enlighten us today that we may understand this marvelous Holy Spirit who has been given to us to reveal Christ to us. And without his ministration, we would never understand Jesus at all, nor would we ever be conformed to the image of your Son, nor would we ever be able to even understand a concept like glorifying you and loving you, much less be able to do it, O oh Lord. And therefore we ask you to, by the Holy Spirit, so that we will learn how to submit to him and be taught by him, because in the end all teaching, if it's of any value, must be the Spirit's teaching. Help us to understand Jesus. Help us to know our Lord Jesus Christ. Help us through submitting to the Holy Spirit to allow Jesus to live in us and through us until the world no longer sees us but sees Christ. Grant that, we pray, Father. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, the great enlightenment of the New Testament, although once you see this in the New Testament, you have no trouble finding the same thing in the Old Testament, but it is the work of the Holy Spirit himself. And please notice in the King James, on a couple of occasions, he used the word itself, the Spirit itself. And because of the nature of the Holy Spirit, he is quiet and retiring 
in the sense he has a different work to do. He is not speaking of his own things. Now, Jesus will speak about the Holy Spirit. God the Father will speak about the Holy Spirit. But the Holy Spirit never speaks about himself. Whenever he speaks, he always takes what he's heard in heaven or a revelation of Christ, and he makes that clear to the saints. But he never comes and explains anything about himself at all. So we must therefore take the words of others or the revelation of the Father here to understand the nature and the work of the Holy Spirit. But if you don't understand the work of the Holy Spirit, then it's almost like the Holy Spirit is like an it or a power or a force or a something that just kind of works. And someone has described it symbolically like saying it's like the sun and the moon and the stars. Like the sun is a very bright, brilliant light. That's like God the Father. He dwells in the light no man can approach to. And then the moon is the reflection of that brilliant sun. And that's the sun, the express image of God's glory. But it says the Holy Spirit is like the stars. It's like not one star, not like the sun or the moon. It's like everywhere, infinite movement. So sometimes the Holy Spirit is hard to understand, his person, his work. And so the great enlightenment of the New Testament is the revelation of the work of the Holy Spirit in making the life of Christ and the life in Christ real. But without that, we don't understand that. That's why so many churches are filled with truisms and maxims and still filled with a lot of sin. They don't understand that, oh yes, this is what we should do and this is right and I know I, I agree with all of this, but it is not a vital life within that says this is what we do. In other words, a vital practicing life. Well, that's the work of the Holy Spirit. You never do it without his presence in us and working through us and in the church. That is the power. He is the power. See, not like some it is out here or some force. A person is moving upon people, speaking to people, directing people, guiding people, helping people. He's called the spirit of wisdom, the spirit of counsel, the spirit of might, the spirit of burning, the spirit of holiness. See, everything about him, that's his function to give wisdom, to give might, to give power, to give holiness, to give direction. That's his work, the Holy Spirit. Now, so we're going to look at some scriptures here this morning. And I want you to take your Bibles now. I hope you all have them, because it's, this, we're going to go back to, a, got to lay a foundation before some other things are laid out here. I want you to turn with me now, please, to John seven thirty nine. So we're going to look in the New Testament here, because that's where the revelation becomes clearest. And then we'll go back and look just today in one place in the Old Testament. And then when we start developing this theme, I think you'll find it very exciting. Turn to John 7. I'd like us to start with verse 37. Now on the last day, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out, If any man is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Well, how many sermons have been preached? Man, if you thirst, come to Jesus and drink. And if you're faith. If any man is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the Scripture said, from his innermost being shall flow rivers of living water. Now, what is this rivers of living water? But this spoke he of the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive. Now, notice they had not received him there. They would receive the Holy Spirit at some future time. But he said, if you come to me, you that are thirsty, if you cry out and desire... What I'm, this life that I'm holding out for you, I will tell you how you can have that life. You will have it because I will do something to you. 
I will allow something to happen in you, and that something will be like rivers of living water springing up within you and going out to a thirsty world. See, it's not enough for us just to have water within ourselves. That's where many churches are. And God forbid that we ever get there. And there are times I have been seriously concerned that we could be heading there unless we turn around and say, stop, we must move back to this place, rivers of living waters. See, we can get to the place where we are like a pool of water. So there's enough water for me to drink. I have this by my house and I can go down there and get a drink of water whenever I need it. Or another place that speaks about spring of living water. But now Jesus is talking about an experience here. He said, if you really thirst, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to work something in you that it will be like rivers of living water springing up within you. Rivers flowing out of you to a lost, hungry, dying, thirsty, weary, worn out world. And that water will flow out of you. And they won't be worried about, well, I only have a little pool of water here. Well, my well may grow dry. It springs up. Go- no, what Jesus is talking about, rivers of living water, that no matter how much of it pours out of you and how many people are blessed and touched, there will be plenty more coming right behind it. See? Now, what are these rivers of living waters? But this spoke he of the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive, for the Spirit was not yet given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. So something out here, here these apostles are. Now notice, they heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse lepers, but the greatest of God's blessings have not yet been given to them. Well, you say, man, but they're walking right there with Jesus. That's right. But you will understand, and this may be hard to hear the first time around, Jesus himself said, I tell you it is expedient for you that I go away. No, Lord, you shall not go away. I found you and you're not going to leave me now. I must go away. Why must you go away, Lord? If I do not go away, then the Spirit of God will not come. It is expedient for you that I... You mean there is some revelation greater than Christ? No. There is no revelation greater than Christ. But what he is saying is... Those apostles and disciples that were with Jesus never understood Jesus while he was on this earth. They saw him one way, well, you're this and you're that and you're this and you're that, and they'd get a little revelation, you're the Christ, the Son of God, and then they'd forget, and will you arrange it so I can be the number one guy in heaven, and can you fix it so that my sons will? Never understood him. Never understood the real spirit by which he moved. Never understood his decisions. Even resisted those decisions right up to the end. And after it was over, and he, he died on the cross, that's it. I've had it. I go fishing. Even after his resurrection, still there were troubles and problems. Until, until that great day of Pentecost, when something fantastic that the world had never experienced, no one in the whole world had ever experienced before, took place in their lives. And that was God's Holy Spirit entered into men to stay forever. And they would never be without that spirit again. No cross could take it away. No death could sever it. No torture could remove him. He would come inside to dwell, unite with our spirits, and reveal Jesus Christ to us in all of his fullness and his majesty, if we submit to that. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. A little of his work. A little of his work. 
Now turn with me, please, to John 14. Some of this material I'll cover again and again because it's exciting on my heart. But I tell you, I see how much of my life has been turned and moved and controlled by God's Holy Spirit. John 14, verse 15. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may be with you forever. Not an it, not a power, not a force, a helper. One who loves us like Jesus loves us. One who loves us like God loves us. For he is God. And to us he is Christ. And he's referred to sometimes that the Spirit of Christ will be in you and upon you and with you and go before you. That is the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive. Without Christ, you would never receive the Holy Spirit. So there's a lot of people talking about, well, I'm not into Jesus, but I'm into the Holy Spirit. You can never find the Holy Spirit if you find Jesus first. He is the door to every good thing that God has. See? So if the Holy Spirit is to be desired, and the Holy Spirit is to be desired mightily. But I tell you, it is Jesus Christ who opened the door to receive God's great promise, the Holy Spirit. That is the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it does not behold him or know him, but you know him. Now notice this wording, please. He's speaking to his disciples before the cross. He abides with you and will be in you. See, it's some experience out here. Now here these apostles were standing right there with Jesus. Said, Tell us about the Holy Spirit now. Did I tell you who he is? He is the Spirit of truth. And he will come into you. He is with you now, and he abides with you. But he's going to abide in you. See, now what a marvelous thing that is. God's Holy Spirit. See, God's up in heaven. Now notice where he is. God's up in heaven, dwelling in the light no man can approach to. Then God sends down to this earth his son in the form of a baby born of the Virgin Mary. Grows up among us, and here the Bible says God was speaking through the prophets, but now God is in his Son, speaking to us in these last days about the things of God, healing the sick, cleansing the lepers, casting out devils, so forth, demonstrating that God is not there but here. Sure, God's there too, because God's everywhere. God's still on his throne, the Father. But here's the Son with us, Emmanuel, God with us. He said, I tell you something greater. I must go away so that you have this. But if I don't go away, it can't happen. The Spirit of God, He is with you. But I'm going to go away, and He will come, and He will come in to you. And He will abide with you forever. Okay. Now, what a fantastic happening that is, that God has come to dwell in ordinary men, ordinary men, tents of clay, see, to guide us to the Spirit of truth. I'll read some more of these scriptures here. Isn't this exciting? You just think, Lord, you in me? You're going to teach me, guide me, show me, reveal Christ to me, tell me about... Why, of course. See, as a matter of fact, that's why I always pray that the anointing will rest upon you when I preach. I can preach under the anointing. If that similar anointing isn't on you, you won't hear anything. You'll hear maxims and ideas and beautiful thoughts and philosophies, and that's very interesting, and a well-put-together sermon, homiletically developed, hermeneutically correct, and so nothing. Go home and say, huh? I didn't get that. See? But if your hearts are anointed by the Spirit, if you're saying, Lord, 
By your Spirit who dwells in me, open my eyes that I may see. Anoint me. Open my ears that I may hear. Open my spirit that I may receive. And be taught of you and know Jesus and know God and know your truth in expressing Him. Then the Holy Spirit takes those words and it becomes life to you. See, that's why the Word of God, the Bible says, it's life unto life. And what? Death unto death. Same word. You can be preaching it, and to those whose hearts are anointed, life. To those whose hearts are not, death. Same word. What is the difference? The Spirit of God. He is in you, and you are listening to Him. All right, now, next scripture. Verse 25 and 26, the same chapter, 14. These things have I spoken to you while abiding with you. In other words, I'm here abiding with you. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I said to you. Peace I leave with you. Now, one of the amazing things, I've read the Bible through many times, I suppose. Certain parts of it over and over, others less so, but cover the Scriptures. And there's one thing I want to say to you here today, if you haven't done it, read the Bible through. See, some people don't read the Bible, but what the Scripture says here, the Holy Spirit, Father will send Him in my name, He will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I said to you. Now, this book is what Christ says to us. Now, when I read this through, it's astounding. Obscure Scriptures that I maybe have not looked at at any real sense, or I have not thought about for years, I'll be preaching, ministering along, and there it is, full-blown in my mind, just as clear as, where did that scripture come from? Well, you say, well, you have a good memory, or you're able to draw it up out of your creative faculty, you're able to, no, folks, it's got nothing to do with creative faculty, or good memory, or anything like that, I've got a fairly good memory, but it's faulty, just shot full of holes like a Swiss cheese sometimes, it's got nothing to do with that. But when God's Spirit is in you and He wants something to be brought out, He brings to your remembrance whatever I have said to you. See, that's the Holy Spirit who speaks to you. See, that's His voice. That's His work in us to guide us. See, that's what happened on that day. Here I had this marvelous plan of delivering myself from these young men that were there. See, oh, I can't think of a thing. And I don't have a piece that it would fit, then I, uh, maybe you should go down to, and then suddenly out of nowhere, two scriptures put together, if you have in the power of your hand to do good and do it not, then how does the love of God dwell in you? And I didn't have any doubt in my mind. I didn't say, oh, I just happened to remember that. I didn't happen to remember that. That was spoken loud and clear to me by the Holy Spirit. So I want to put you in remembrance, son, of something that the Lord said to you. Uh, what's that? If you have in the power of your hand to do good and you do it not, then how does the love of God dwell in you? Yeah, that's right. I do have something. I think that I am life. See, now without the Holy Spirit, my brutish mind would have had them out of there. I would have missed that great happening that was going on. And I still maybe would have been sitting down someplace selling real estate, maybe not, maybe all blown out or blown about with something. To, Oh, God, why have you never sent a revival into my life? I know Eureka's a rotten place to live, see? Now, but hearing the Holy Spirit speak, it turned everything around. You need, like I need, the guidance of the Holy Spirit himself. That voice speaking in you. All right. Are you understanding what I'm saying here? 
This isn't complicated, is it? How many of you are understanding that? Are you? Good. Because if you are, that's the Holy Spirit teaching you. Because you wouldn't understand it otherwise. Now, I can tell you, you would not understand what I'm saying at all, whether the Holy Spirit is speaking to you. Now, John 15, 26. When the Helper comes, whom I will send you from the Father, that is the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness of me, and you will bear witness also, because you have been with me from the beginning. Now the question is, the apostles that were with Jesus could bear witness to something. They could say, I wish to tell you that I was here, I saw him in the flesh, my hands handled the word of life, I rested sometimes in his bosom, he put his arms around me, he spoke to me, he opened the word of God to me, I saw him die on the cross, three days later, raised from the dead, he walked with us for 40 days, and we saw him taken up to heaven, I saw that, I know, but today, there are no apostles that lived with Jesus 2,000 years ago. Who then is the witness and the only witness to his resurrection that is speaking today? The Holy Spirit. See, why can a person preach with such tremendous conviction the reality of God and the reality of Christ Jesus? Why can he take some pages that are merely printed pages like millions of other books and billions of pages and trillions of words and take these words and somehow put them together in a way that people who come in saying, I don't believe in God and I don't believe in Christ and I don't believe in any of this the hogwash, but I'm going down and see what these crazy guys are up to. And the next thing you're preaching and here's the man suddenly is, I know he lives and I want Jesus, my Lord. What does that? That's the Holy Spirit witnessing to him, saying, it is true, I was there. And he lives forevermore. And the man says, I believe you, Holy Spirit, it is true. See? And he's converted. He's changed. It's only the Holy Spirit who does these. See, it isn't our witness. You know, I'm going to give it my... That's why some people come up with clever witnesses. Like, uh, you do this tricky kind of witness. And uh, like, uh, come up to a person and say, Hello? Oh, hello. I uh, wonder if you have the time of day. Oh, uh, yes. Uh, five after ten. Oh, uh, thank you. Thank you. Uh, well, uh, <laughs> looks like it's going to rain today. Yeah, I might do it. How are those clouds up there? Yes. Looks like it might be the hand of God. See? Then we come back and say, oh, man, I gave that guy a witness. Just really heavy-duty stuff. But, and I say, what's the matter with that guy? Is he weird or something? Say, no. But when you stand up and say, I want to tell you what happened in my life. And now you say it from a deep place of conviction. But not depending on telling your story. They don't care what happened to you. It's nice. You know, I don't fault you for that guy. Uh, that's great. That's nice. Uh, glad it happened to you, but it's not for me. Or I guess you needed that crutch. It's not for me. That isn't what they need to hear. They need to hear you get up and tell them about Jesus and the Holy Spirit to say, we're not talking about a crutch. We're talking about eternal life. Repent. See, and the man to say, oh, God in heaven, I... See, it's the Holy Spirit. Always the Holy Spirit. Everywhere in the New Testament, the Holy Spirit is the agency by which the church is empowered, by which men are converted, by which life is transformed, by which people are healed. Even Jesus Christ himself, when I'm speaking about, and we'll read this when we get to it, speaking about it was the Holy Spirit who empowered him to do what he did on this earth. We say, oh, Jesus, he just healed the sick and raised the dead. And you'll see from the Scripture, that was not exactly right. See, most people, because the Holy Spirit is so self-effacing, 
If you don't ask God to show you this, you won't understand it. All right, now, next scripture. John 16, 7 to 14. But I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage, or it is expedient. It is to your advantage that I go away. How could that be? We say, oh, if we just had Jesus here with us today, all of our problems would be answered. That's not true. That's not true. If that had been the answer, Jesus would have stayed right here. That would have been the answer. But not. He said, it's to your advantage that I go away. Now, what is the advantage of him going away? For if I do not go away, the Helper shall not come to you, but if I go, I will send him to you. That's the advantage. And he, when he comes, will convict the world concerning sin. If anybody's ever convicted about sin, it's the Holy Spirit who does it. He will convict the world about the need for righteousness and judgment concerning sin because they do not believe me, concerning righteousness because I go to the Father and you no longer behold me. In other words, I've been raised from the dead and I sit at his right hand, thus indicating I've overcome, concerning judgment because the ruler of this world has been judged. I have many more things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. But when he, the Spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all... He, 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 this person will personally guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own initiative, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will disclose to you what is to come. He shall glorify me, for he shall take of mine and disclose it to you. Hallelujah, Spirit of God, teach us. Without that, all the other teaching is of no value, whatever. If my teaching is not anointed by the Holy Spirit, if your hearts are not anointed by the Holy Spirit, then all of it is vain. All of it is worthless. It is the Holy Spirit's work in us that makes that word real. See, the word is real to me because the Spirit is in me. Saying, this is true, this is true. And I say, I know it's Spirit of God. It's true. And if it ever gets in you, which it is, but I'm saying to the degree that it gets in you, progressive revelation gets in you. It will be the Holy Spirit who does that. It is not your brains, not your intellect, not your mind, not your emotions, not... It is the Spirit calling unto the Spirit, or deep calling unto deep. And that's the transforming power of life. Now, let's read some other scriptures here. Luke 24. I'm going to look at verse 45, 49. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. And he said to them, Thus it is written that Christ should suffer and rise again from the dead on the third day, and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. Great. In other words, you've been here, you've seen them. That's not the end of it. And behold, I am sending forth the promise of my Father upon you, but you are to stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. Now, notice what he's saying here, and this is a powerful thing. First of all, a little information about the Greek language. Whenever the definite article, the, is used, it means it sets this off from all other things that could be said about it. See, we will use something similar, but we tend to use a voice intonation or we give a little expression to a way. If we would talk about, this is the President of Division 1, this is the President of Division 2, this is the President of Division 3, the President of Division 4, and Division 5. But now I give you the president. Now, what have I said by that intonation? All of these are presidents, to be sure. But here is the big one. Here's the important one. Here's the one that counts. 
Well, the Greeks do that too, except they don't use the intonation. They simply use the definite article. When it's found, that means it sets it off from all others. Now, here is where this is used about the promise. Promises, thousands. Understand that. Promises, thousands in the Bible. But what he says here, Behold, I am sending forth the promise from all way back in the Old Testament was building this from prophetic revelation to prophetic revelation and finally comes down to John the Baptist and we'll read about it at the right time. He says, I tell you, I baptize you in water, but one is coming after me, the latchet of whose shoe I am not worthy to unloose. He will baptize you in the Holy Spirit and with fire. See, that was Here's the promise. Jesus said, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you. Now, we need to ask ourselves, how many of you have been baptized in that promise? And we'll discuss that in its proper time. I just want to put a thought out there. Behold, I am sending forth the promise of my Father upon you, but you are to stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. What power? The power of the Holy Spirit. So you say, well, man, we've seen it. We've seen Jesus raised from the dead, and we, we saw him taken up. Now we're ready to tell everybody about it. He said, you can tell no one about it because they will not believe you. They will count you to be a liar. Some will anyhow because they're dead and will not hear. They will think you've had hallucinations. They will think that. But he said, I tell you, when the promise of my Father comes upon you, you will speak with a power that is beyond this life, a power that is beyond humanity, a power that is beyond angelic authority, you will speak with the power of the Most High, and then when men hear you, they will know you speak truth, because it is not you that speak, it is my heavenly spirit in you that speaks. I'm sending the promise of my Father upon you. So don't run out and witness. Don't run out and hope we're going to do all this. Wait until you are clothed with power from on high. Then go do it. And he said, at that time, we'll read about it, you will do this and this and this and this and this and this and this. Without it, you will do nothing. Okay. All right, now, next scripture, John 20, 22. And when he had said this, he breathed and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. Breath is a symbol of what in the Old and New Testament? Symbol of what? Spirit, right. Receive you the Holy Spirit. All right. But now notice, they did not receive the Holy Spirit. Here was the... Divine faith impartation, but they did not receive the Holy Spirit until some 40 days later, 30, about, well, it might have been here about 10 days later. Now, here's some further scriptures revealing the work of the Holy Spirit in the life of our Lord Jesus. So I'd like you to turn with me, please, to Luke 1. And I'm going to go back here now to the birth of Jesus. And once you begin to understand the revelation, you start looking for the work of the Holy Spirit throughout the Bible, you will see this marvelous person everywhere. Luke 1, 26. I'm going to cover quite a bit of territory here. Now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city in Galilee called Nazareth to a virgin, engaged to a man whose name was Joseph of the descendants of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And coming in, he said to her, Hail, favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at this statement and kept pondering what kind of salutation this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall name him Jesus. And he will be great, and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord will give him the throne of his father David, 
and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. And Mary said to the angel, How can this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you. I want to say about the Holy Spirit coming upon her, what a wonderful experience that was. But do you notice what word it used there? What was the word? Upon. Not yet in. Upon. We have the privilege in our day of allowing the Holy Spirit to come in us and dwell in us forever. See, as great as she was in the eyes of God, as marvelous as was she would bear that human form in which God's Son, Jesus, would dwell, as great as that was, still the time had not yet come for the Holy Spirit to come in and abide. That would take the cross, that would take the revelation of Christ on this earth, that would take his death and his resurrection, that would take his overcoming, and be declared to be the Son of God with power. And then the Holy Spirit would come to abide in us. But nevertheless, she had a marvelous experience there, for she never knew a man up to that point. But here the Holy Spirit came upon her, and she became then the mother of this child. And for that reason, the holy offspring shall be called the Son of God. And behold, even your relative Elizabeth has also conceived a son in her old age, and she who was called barren is now in her sixth month. For nothing will be impossible with God. Not when the Holy Spirit is operating on people. Nothing is impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, the bond slave of the Lord. Oh, how good she said that. She said, I don't go for that kind of stuff, or I'm not into that spooky stuff. Or, uh, she said, Behold, the bond slave of the Lord. Be it unto me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Now at this time Mary arose and went with haste to the hill country, the city of Judah, and entered the house of Zacharias and greeted Elizabeth. And it came about that when Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. See, you see, this person is like everywhere operating. See, without that, the Bible as we know it wouldn't exist. It's a spiritual book. It's a miracle book. We're meant to be guided by an all-knowing, all-seeing, all-loving God who speaks to his people. The Spirit of God moved upon her. That's why I want prophetic utterances in the church. We need people who will let the Spirit of God move upon them, and as they're moved, they speak out these utterances. That's a very important part of church life. The church must always be a miracle place, not a dead place where dead maxims are presented to dead people by dead preachers. But what needs to be there is a dynamic in the Holy Spirit's moving. It makes people say, God is in this place now. See, you think Elizabeth had any trouble thinking God was in this place? Or did Mary have any trouble thinking God was in the place? Oh, no, God is here, God is here, God is here. Just Holy Spirit speaking out that voice of truth. And how has it happened to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby leaped in my womb for joy. How does she know that the Lord of all the universe was in that womb? The revelation of the Spirit of God. See? Don't you understand in this battle of life, you want to pitch your puny brain against the devil and his forces? You want to pitch your puny little mind against the forces in this world that are warring against you to destroy you? You want to pitch your puny little body against disease germs and uh, sicknesses and viruses and all kinds of things or all the chemicals that are being dumped in the water? You want to pitch yourself against that? With this little brain, you're going to figure that all out what to do. No, you're not. 
You need a miracle. Every day you need a miracle. God needs to keep you alive and keep speaking to you and guiding you and teaching you and directing you. And how does he do it? By his Holy Spirit. By his Holy Spirit, whom you allow to speak to. You learn to hear his voice. Still small voice like God's, but I tell you, you can hear his voice. Sometimes pretty loud voice, too. For behold, a sound, and the babe leaped in my womb, and blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of that which had been spoken to her by the Lord. And Mary said, My soul exalts the Lord. My spirit is rejoiced in God, my Savior, for he has had regard for the humble state of his bond slave. And behold, from this time on, all generations will count me blessed. How does she know that? That's the eternal God speaking. For the Mighty One has done great things with me, and holy is his name. His mercy is upon generation after generation toward those who fear him. He has done mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in the thoughts of their heart. He has brought down rulers from their thrones and exalted those who were humble. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent away the rich empty-handed. He has given help to Israel, his servant, in remembrance of his mercy, as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and his offspring forever. And Mary stayed there about three months. Went home. Now, carrying on here. Now the time had come for Elizabeth to give birth, and she brought forth a son. I want to tell you now, Zacharias, by the way, had a revelation from God. He didn't believe, and he struck dumb. Now remember, that Zacharias is Elizabeth's husband. Now all this time, he has not been able to carry on his priestly duties because he can't speak at all. So he's off here, and his tongue is bound up, and he can't say a word. And her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had displayed his great mercy toward her, and they were rejoicing with her. And it came about on the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child, and they were going to call him Zacharias after his father. And his mother answered and said, No, indeed. He should be called John. Now, where'd she get that name? From God. And they said to her, There is no one among your relatives who is called by you. You can't break tradition like that. You can't call him John. Don't you understand this? See, your tradition has made void the law of God. But God told me his name is John. We're not into that. And they made signs to his father as to what he wanted to be called. He asked for a tablet and wrote as follows. His name is John. And they were all astonished. And at once his mouth was opened and his tongue was loosed. And he began to speak in praise of God. And fear came on all those living around them. And all those matters were being talked about in the hill country of Judea. And all who heard them kept them in mind, saying, What? Then will this child turn out to be, for the hand of the Lord was certainly with him, and his father Zacharias was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited. And again, the Holy Spirit moving in these lives, see. Verse 80, And the child continued to grow and become strong in spirit. And he lived in the deserts in the day of his public appearance to Israel. Now do you begin to get a picture here of the Holy Spirit moving through human life. See? Now ask yourself if you are experiencing a similar kind of guidance. You may not be, but I certainly feel it's the time now. If the dreams that you're talking about are ever going to come to pass, they will not come to pass because of some smartness on our part. They will come to pass because of an endowment of power, and that power is the person of the Holy Spirit dwelling in us. He will guide you with a sure hand as to how to fulfill those dreams. We're talking about building a training center in a great church, in a school, and we're talking about ministering to the lame, the maimed, the halt, and the blind, the miraculous being returned to the church. Believe me, that will never be done outside of the administration of the Holy Spirit himself coming into the operational life of the church. 
Now, if you look at all of these things, you see the Spirit of God is moving in Luke 3.16. And John answered and said to them, As for me, I baptize you with water, but one is coming who is mightier than I, and I am not fit to untie the thong of his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Uh, Matthew 12.22-28, the Pharisees were accusing him of casting out devils by Beelzebub. He said, No, I do not cast out devils but by, by Beelzebub, but by the Holy Spirit. See, he wouldn't say, I cast out devils. He said, I cast out devils even when Jesus was here on this earth. What he did, he did by the power of the Holy Spirit, not by his own power. I'd like you to look at Acts 1, 1 and 2. This first account I composed, Theophilus, about all that Jesus began to do and teach. Now, the reason why he began to do and teach is because he's still teaching through the Holy Spirit today. Nothing has changed. Until the day when he was taken up. Now, listen to this wording carefully. After he had, by the Holy Spirit, given orders to the apostles whom he had chosen. Now, even after he had been resurrected, he was still giving directions to the apostles. How was he given it? By the Holy Spirit of God. See, now here was Jesus Christ, the Son of God, now resurrected in all of his majesty and power. Still, it's the Holy Spirit moving through him, speaking. See, the Holy Spirit has a very unique place in the work of God himself. Now we're going to read on through verses uh, 3 through 8 here. To these also he presented himself alive after his suffering by many convincing proofs, appearing to them over a period of 40 days and speaking of the things pertaining the kingdom of God. And gathering them together, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for what the Father had promised, which he said, You heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit, indicating they were not yet baptized with the Holy Spirit. You shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. And so when they had come together, they were asking him, saying, Lord, is at this time you are restoring the kingdom to Israel. See how dull of understanding they are? He's saying, in a few days you are going to receive the mightiest of all God's promises. And they said, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom? We've been thinking about that, Lord. He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or epochs which the Father has fixed by his own power. But you shall receive, and he calls them right back to the important issue at hand. You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and even to the remotest part of the earth. The last thing he said on this earth was that line. And after he said these things, he was lifted up while they were looking on. See, the last thing. You understand that when you're trying to make an important point, there's two places in your speech you make an important point. You make it at the beginning, and where else? The last thing you say, I say, listen, if you forget everything else, I have this one thing I must say to you. Do not forget it. Forget the kingdom. Forget the epics, the times, the seasons. Put that out of your mind for now. But one thing I'm telling you, be filled with God's Holy Spirit. And don't leave this city until you are. Okay? And then, so what's the last thing he said to us? So that's why you see in Acts chapter 2, they gathered in the upper room to seek God. And for 10 days they prayed until that Holy Spirit of God, we'll take a look at that right here. Turn me, please, to Acts 2. And when the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a noise like a violent rushing wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. And there appeared to them tongues as a fire distributing themselves. 
and they rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit was giving them utterance. Now there were Jews. Now we talk about these despised band, these laughed at. Can any good come out of Galilee? They just murdered the leader. He's dead as far as they're concerned, although some are frightened that he has raised, but they don't know what about it and haven't seen him. Now there were Jews living in Jerusalem, devout men from every nation under heaven. And when this sound occurred, the multitude came together pretty loud and were bewildered because they were each one hearing them speak in his own language. Now here they were from every nation under heaven, that is the known world at that time, and here they were gathered, proselytes and so forth. And they were amazed and marveled, saying, Why are not all these who are speaking Galileans? Because Galilee was considered like, yuck, that's the off-scouring of the earth. And where do these men get this? They're all speaking in our language. Mighty praise of God. How is it we hear each one of them in our own language to which we were born? Parthian, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt and the districts of Libya, around Cyrene. And visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them in our own tongues speaking the mighty deeds of God. And they continued in amazement and great perplexity, saying to one another, What does this mean? But others were mocking and saying they are full of sweet wine. Now then Peter stands up. Oh, Peter. Impulsive, up and down, revelation, takes off, I'm fishing, abandons, runs. Something's happened to Peter now. He stands up and says, raised his voice and declared to them, Men of Judea and all you who live in Jerusalem, let this be known unto you and give heed to my words, for these men are not drunk as you suppose, for it is only the third hour of the day. But this is what was spoken of through the prophet Joel. It shall be in the last days, God says, I will pour forth of my Spirit upon all mankind, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even upon my bond slaves, both men and women, I will in those days pour forth of my spirit. And they shall prophesy, and I will grant wonders in the sky above, and signs in the earth beneath, blood and fire, vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness, and the moon into blood, before the great and glorious day of the Lord shall come. And it shall be that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Men of Israel, listen to me. These words, Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with miracles and wonders and signs which God performed through him in your midst just as you yourselves know. This man, delivered up by predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God, you nailed to a cross by hands of godless men and put into death. And God raised him up again, putting an end to the agony of death since it was impossible for him to be held in this power. Then he goes on preaching here a little bit more. Brethren, verse 29, may I confidently say to you regarding the patriarch David that he both died and was buried and in his tomb is with us to this day. And so because he was a prophet, he knew that God had sworn to him an oath to seat one of his descendants upon his throne. And he looked ahead and spoke of the resurrection of Christ, that he was neither abandoned to Hades nor did his flesh suffer decay. This Jesus God raised up again to which we are witnesses, therefore having been exalted to the right hand of God and having received from the Spirit, the Father, the promise of the Spirit, he hath poured forth this which you now see and hear. For it was not David who ascended to heaven, for he himself said, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make thy enemies a footstool for thy feet. Therefore let all the house of Israel know for certain that God hath made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now, they're nothing in Israel. They're off-scouring. And here he stands up and makes this tremendous revelatory pronunciation. 
And when they heard this, they were pierced to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brethren, what must we do? And 3,000 that day found Christ, and the worldwide growth of the church was on. Now, what did that? Peter's brilliant mind, his great character, his noble being, the placement of the bones in his face and fiery eyes and great white hair? No. It was that Holy Spirit, that person of the Godhead who had now come into him, and he stood up there and said, I have a revelation from God, a message, and I'm going to speak that message to you. You want to change this world? Or you want to have your world changed? Or you want to be transformed? You know how it'll be done? It'll be done by the Holy Spirit in you revealing Christ Jesus to you and to the whole world. See, that's what we're talking about, knowing Christ. It isn't knowing about Christ. It isn't even knowing how to be Christ-like. I know how to be Christ-like. But how do I, in fact, become Christ-like? The Holy Spirit living in me, changing me, transforming me, teaching me, guiding me, speaking to me. Him. You need a person dwelling inside that you can hear and be guided by. Amen. Bow your heads with me in a word of prayer, please. Heavenly Father, Lord, we, we want to be filled with the Holy Spirit. We want to be anointed by the Holy Spirit. We want the Holy Spirit at all times to, just like those apostles in the early testament, they prayed again and they were filled again with the Holy Spirit. We need to be an overflowing place. That's what that word means in the Greek, an overflowing fill. Not just up to the rim, but spilling out. When Jesus spoke about rivers of living water, that's what he means by filled. Filled up to the brim and flowing out just like Peter did on the day of Pentecost, just like our lives are to do in this community or wherever we live, just like whatever we touch or whatever we do is to be saturated by your presence, Lord, by the Holy Spirit moving through us and opening our eyes to a reality of Jesus Christ as Lord of all, or to understand what it means to glorify you, Lord, and to love you and to make that our long-term goal of life and to see in the happenings of life your hand, Lord, that can only be done by the Holy Spirit. Otherwise, we can only see things carnally and it's good or bad or indifferent and we don't understand it. But Lord, when your Spirit is in us, when your Spirit is living in us and moving upon us, moving through us and making the Word live to us and showing us how to live and guiding us, then Lord, it's at that time that everything in this world takes on a different look. Our set of values change we begin to grasp the meanings of the happenings in our life and they're no longer frightening things but wonderful parts of a glorious pattern that you're weaving in our lives, Lord. We're on our way toward fulfilling the things that you brought us into this world to do. I want to take you a little bit more through those of you who may not have read the Bible with this particular subject in mind. And by the way, you ought to read the Bible different times or different studies that you make with different subjects in mind, like you're looking for something, a revelation maybe of Jesus Christ in the Bible. And you'll find he is all through the Bible. That's one of the amazing things. You remember the Bible says that Jesus, when he was raised from the dead, he took these people, opened up the scriptures to them, and showed them how Christ must suffer and so forth and so on. So Christ was all the way through the Bible. But reading it without the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, 
you would miss that entirely. In the same way God the Father is throughout the entire Bible, in the same way the Holy Spirit is throughout the entire Bible. As a matter of fact, in the very beginnings, we find the Holy Spirit. All through the Bible, we find the Holy Spirit, and the very end things themselves. Very beginning mentions, very end mentions, all the way through this mysterious, mysterious only because we do not seek to know him. Now, God intends that you should know him in the same way you know Jesus Christ, in the same way that you can know God the Father through Jesus Christ. But there's a scripture that is like a, a linchpin scripture. In the day that you seek for me with your whole heart, I'll be found of you. See, if you do not pursue the Holy Spirit, then you will not see him very much at all. You will not experience his operation in your life. You will not know what it means to really be led by the Holy Spirit. A lot, a good deal of foolishness will take its place, where people come up and supposedly in the Spirit tell you to go off to Africa and you'll get new languages when you get there and money will be dropped in your lap and that's in the Spirit. But that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about people who are led of the Spirit. They know when God has spoken to them by the Spirit and they're able to respond with good sound counsel, make good plans and carry out those plans well. Therefore, they are accomplishers in the kingdom. Now, without the operation of this person, you understand this person, when we say operations, that almost makes it in a way, that's, that's an unfortunate word. I shouldn't use that either, although it will, it comes into my mind to use. And it's an okay word if understood right. But operations are like the Holy Spirit is setting up here in some place and he's kind of like pulling strings like this. But what the Bible, in a certain sense, that's true, dealing with the whole universe. But with us, it is not true in that sense, but what is true is this person is living inside of us and wants us to know him, wants to be able to speak to us, wants us to develop an ear for his voice so we can hear that voice and we can respond to the voice of the Holy Spirit in action. So I thought it would be a good thing, just as an opening thing. Now, the next three, four messages will deal with this subject. So I'm going to take a little bit of time at the opening of each message to just simply read to you some scriptures that show you the Holy Spirit in the New Testament, as well as some in the Old, where I think it's fitting. Then I will take the main theme of my message and develop it. And then each message I will give you a few more. So you'll begin, as you read the Bible now, you'll be conscious of looking for this person, this Holy Spirit. See, when you say it, you'll say like uh, God, that sounds like a person. See? Or if you say Jesus, that's a person. But you say Holy Spirit, it's almost like, see, it's like sun, moon, stars. Sun, objective, moon, objective, stars, kind of like everywhere but nowhere. So we have to understand that that is only in the symbolism, is that true? Because the Holy Spirit keeping himself in the background, holding up Jesus Christ, holding up God the Father, but it is our work to search him out. It is our work to pursue him and to hold him up. See, he does not speak of his own initiative. Now, the, some people take that scripture and the King James says he doesn't speak of himself to mean he doesn't want anything said about himself. That's not true. Any other version you will see, it says he does not speak on his own initiative. But the fact is that Jesus spoke about him, said without him we would not be brought to fullness, we would not have the comfort, the understanding, the knowledge, the in nothing would work in our lives without the Holy Spirit. Well, now, if Jesus himself says to me, you need the Holy Spirit, you need to know him, he will guide you, he will lead you, he will teach you, he will show you, he will... And I'm saying, Lord, I want to know the Holy Spirit. I want to know him like I know you. Say, I want to pursue that. But you will never know him until you want to know him with all your heart. See, it's like, I want to know you, God, with all my heart. And God says, in the day you seek for me with your whole heart, then I'll be found of you. So 
So anything less than that will be a partial knowing. All right. Now, one of the first things I'd like you to look at, if you just want to turn to it quickly in your Bibles, is Genesis, the first chapter. That's verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was formless and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was moving over the surface of the waters. Now, very opening of the whole Bible. Here's God speaking, getting ready to move, and he speaks as this is what is to be. God created the heavens and the earth. But who is the operating person who brought that whole creation? Here's the thing. And the Spirit of God was moving over the surface of the waters, beginning to bring this formless mass back into order that creation might come to it. So the very beginning of the Bible, and once again, people read over this, they say, well, God created the heavens and the earth, and God did this, and God did this, and that. That's right. But right in with it is, and the Spirit of God was. See, always this third person. And you'll see him continually, everywhere in the Bible, he is the one which is carrying out the operations of the Father. Now, if you go to the end of the Bible, Revelation 22, and we're going to start here, verse 16, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you these things for the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David, the bright and morning star. And the spirit and the bride say, come, and let the one who hears say, come, and let the one who is thirsty come, and let the one who wishes to take of the water of life freely without cost. I test to everyone that hears the words of these prophecies, if God adds to any one of them, God shall add to him the plagues that are written in this book. She's the very last thing except the words of the Lord himself. very first thing in the Bible, God created the heavens, the earth, and the Spirit. And right before the end, and the Spirit and the bride say, come. Now, why does the bride say, come? Because the Spirit is in her, urging her to say, come, Lord Jesus, come, Lord Jesus, come, Lord Jesus. She's crying out for the Lord to come. That's why he comes. See, now, there's not much of a cry for the Lord to come these days. Very little cry for God to come. Until that cry rises up from a church, powerfully yearning to be with our Lord forever. That will never take place until the church sees the vision of going into all the world and preaching the gospel to every creature and getting the job done. And finally, when it's, we've hurtled out as far as we can, we're crying, Come, Lord Jesus. Come, we desire to be with you forever, Lord. See, that's the Spirit beginning to move in us because the time is approaching. Come, Lord Jesus, come. The Spirit, and says, him that is thirst, they come. Now, that urging is the Holy Spirit himself urging us to call upon the Lord Jesus Christ and say, Come. So, first of the Bible... Last of the Bible, and as we'll see all the way through it. John 3.34 speaks about the Lord and says, God gave not the Spirit by measure to him. Now, all of us have the Spirit by measure. We don't have all of the Spirit, but Jesus Christ had the Spirit without measure. There was no limitation of the Holy Spirit moving in him. What did he do? Every act that he did, every miracle that he performed, every sign that he wrought, every sermon that he preached, every pronouncement that he gave, it was all by direction of this Holy Spirit that was given to him without measure. He did not do anything on this earth as God. You will never see And Jesus being God did this. Says Jesus through the Holy Spirit did that. See, he was a man, though he's God, in the sense when he died, he died as God because he was God from the very beginning, eternally God, right with the Father himself. But when he came down here, he emptied himself, the Bible says, and took not upon himself the nature of angels, but of Abraham took upon himself flesh and blood like weak in all points like as we are weak, except without sin. And then God gave to him the Holy Spirit without measure. 
And that Holy Spirit, without measure, enabled him to do the things that he did. And then he says to us now, this Spirit which God has given me, which is who is with you, now he will be in you. And you're not to go out preaching the gospel, you're not to go out building churches, you're not to do anything, but tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you also be endued with power. See, that same infilling of the Holy Spirit. So when we're talking about being filled with the Spirit, being baptized with the Holy Spirit, walking in the Spirit, directed by the Spirit, I tell you, if the church is ever going to accomplish anything in this world, it will do it under the direction of the Holy Spirit, and it will never do it without the direction of the Holy Spirit. So this subject has to be understood. And by the way, we've not departed from the subject of dreams and revelations. I'm simply saying that you can have a dream or revelation, but it's of God. You'll never see it really done in this life without the Holy Spirit empowering you. See, you need to be endued with power from on high that you can carry out that dream or that vision or that revelation. It's not done. When you consider the force of the enemy, Satan is against you, and all those dark spirits, and a world is against you, does not want the church to succeed in its mission. All of that is arrayed against you, the governments of the world, the armies of the world, and the only thing you can turn that around is the power of the Holy Spirit within you. So if you're going to accomplish anything, you must be filled with the Spirit. And that means filled to, in the sense of, overflowing by the Holy Spirit. Luke, second chapter. Luke, the second chapter, verse 25. And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, looking for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. Now, see, he wasn't, he didn't know what to say to Christ because he was a holy man. And he didn't know what to say to Christ because he read the Old Testament. And he didn't know what to say to Mary or, or Joseph because he was been in the temple a good deal. See, because he had associated with good people all of his life. That is not what the Bible says gave him the insight and revelation he now had. It says the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. Isn't that a wonderful revelation? I tell you something, if you could have been down in what's sometimes called uh, paradise, or it's really Hades, a uh, place of waiting. One side of it was fire, then a great gulf fixed between, and then the other side was uh, a peaceful place called Abraham's bosom. Well, you remember when the rich man died? He went to hell, the Bible says, or Hades. And Lazarus was taken by the angels to Abraham's bosom, and there he was comforted. Now, he wasn't in heaven, because Jesus had not yet come to this earth, had not died on the cross, sins had not yet been atoned for, so no one was in heaven. That is in a permanent sense. Perhaps Elijah and uh, Enoch were there because they're yet to come back. Perhaps that's who the two witnesses are. I think it is. And they will die like all ordinary men because given unto men to die once to die and after that the judgment. Except those of us who are alive to the coming of the Lord. We will not see death. We will be changed in a moment, twinkling of an eye. But those Old Testament saints all had to die, and I believe that Enoch and Elijah will die as ordinary men die. They're alive now. They will die. For three and a half days they will rise again, and then they will be taken up to God the Father, as it reveals in the book of Revelation. But whether that's true or not is immaterial for the purpose that I'm bringing out here today. But here these people would die, and then they would go down to Abraham's bosom and be comforted. They were conscious. They were alive in the eternal sense that we will always be alive. The fact that I would die and leave my body here, I would not die. I would be conscious, but in to the next realm, but now immediately in the presence of the Lord. In those days, they did not immediately go into the presence of the Lord, but they were comforted in a place called Abraham's bosom. And you remember the rich man said, send Lazarus over here. He could see him. 
and he could recognize him. It wasn't some amorphous blob that was simply floating around. He said, I think that blob looks like Lazarus might have looked if he didn't have a body or something. Wasn't anything like that at all. He could recognize him quite clearly, send him over here. He still thought he was a slave, and let him dip his finger one cool my tongue. I'm tormented in this flame. So he could feel in the same way. Abraham said, no. He said, he cannot do that. He said, uh, even if he could, he could not because a great gulf is fixed. But then they said, well, send some, some people at Lazarus to my brothers and tell no, if they don't believe the word of God, they wouldn't believe the one rose from the dead and told them. So what is happening here is, can you see these people are one after the other, they're dying. And they're knowing, some of them in the spirit, that that's getting closer and closer to the time that the Lord is going to come. And down in Hades, or Abraham's bosom, is a growing rejoicing. And then here this man is on the earth, he's not sure what's going on, but one day God reveals to him something. He says, Simeon, I have something to tell you, and by the Holy Spirit he tells him, you're not going to die until you see my Christ. Now, how would you have liked to have had a revelation like that in that day? Wouldn't that have been wonderful? Well, I want to tell you, the revelation you got of Jesus Christ is far greater than what he received. See, if you can understand the privilege you have to be permanently, eternally filled with the Holy Spirit is far greater than anything Simeon could have ever known. But what he had was wonderful. And then one day he walks in that temple, hallelujah, and he takes that child up in his arms. Let's read it here. Luke 2. And he came in the Spirit in the temple. Now, that's a wonderful thing. So he didn't even have the time to get there. You just see the Holy Spirit just guiding people. And when the parents brought in the child, Jesus, to carry out the custom of the law, then he took him into his arms and blessed God and said, Now, Lord, thou dost let thy bondservant depart in peace according to thy word. Holy Spirit revealed it to him. For my eyes have seen thy salvation, which thou prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light of revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of thy people Israel. And his father and mother were amazed at the things which were being said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, Now here's a revelation of the Holy Spirit. Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rise of many in Israel, and for a sign to be opposed. And a sign will pierce even your own soul to the end, that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. Now here's this penetrating word of the Holy Spirit. See, if our witnessing is to have power... It can't be just, oh yes, I want to tell you, Jesus is alive, and uh, Jesus rose from the dead, and uh, you know, uh, he shed his blood, and if you uh, repent of your sins and get right with God, uh, he'll worship from your sins. That is like dead words. This is why I tell people about preaching a sermon. Don't get some sermon like every, every word of God is true, but every word of God is not for that moment. See, I believe this word of God is for this moment. Later on, another word of God will be for another moment. If a person is going to preach, they shouldn't say, well, it's my turn to preach. I wonder what I'll preach about. Go down on your face before God and ask the Holy Spirit to give you a message. It is God who knows what the people need on a Sunday morning or any other time for that matter. And say, Lord, reveal to me what you wish to speak to these people. And if I'm so dull you can't reveal anything, shut my mouth and let them meditate upon you or something. But don't let me fill them with a lot of nonsense. They go home and they're all confused and say, somehow that doesn't seem what is right. See, it's the Holy Spirit's guidance that has to be in our hearts and lives. And there was a prophetess, Anna, daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years after her marriage. And then as a widow to the age of 84, she never left the temple, 
serving night and day with fastings and prayers. And at that very moment, she came up and began giving thanks to God, continued to speak to him, to all those who were looking for the redemption of Israel. See, now here's the Holy Spirit opened her eyes. Here's a baby, ordinary baby. And I can guarantee you on that day in the temple, that wasn't the only baby in there. You think that? There were maybe 50 or 100, 200 mothers in there carrying their children around. But here comes in Simeon, and his eyes are opened. And he walks over to this couple and says, let me hold that baby, please. Well, sure, here. He says, this is the Savior of Israel, which God has prepared a light of salvation to all peoples. In your own heart, your sword will pierce through you, and you will. See, and then Anna comes up and says, this is the Lord's Christ. This is. Now, how was that done? Why not this baby? Why not this baby? Why not? Because the Holy Spirit says, none of those... This is the Lord's Christ. They, and they were in the Spirit. They walked in the Spirit. They were filled with the Spirit. They kept close to the Spirit. They sought to know Him. And yet I can tell you that not one person in the Old Testament could ever know the Holy Spirit like you can. Because the Old Testament they came upon, the Holy Spirit would come into for a time, but in you, He will come into you, and He will unite with you, and He will abide with you forever. He will comfort you, he will guide you, he will teach you, he will enlighten you, he will help you, he will strengthen you, he will give you courage. He will conform you to the image of Jesus Christ if you seek to know him. All right. Now, I'm constantly getting a revelation of how to walk in the Spirit. It is not something that you know how to do easily. It's not something you get hands laid on and suddenly you're zapped and now you walk in the Spirit. I tell you, it's a constant learning process of saying, show me how to walk closer, show me how to walk more certainly, show me how to hear your voice, show me how to get direction, show me how to... See, it's a constant teaching. Jesus knew how to do it perfectly. So he was always where he needed to be. It blesses me when people say, which I've heard many times over the last few years, you always seem to be where you're supposed to be at the right time. I say, thank God for that. Then that means I'm getting where I walk more and more closely in the Spirit, because that's what the work of the Holy Spirit is, to put us where we should be at the right time. Now, we're going to go through the book of Acts and take a look at a few of these scriptures here. And I think it'd be good if we drop perhaps all the way back to Acts 4, start at the early part of the book. And Peter has just preached the gospel to some people. A lame man at the beautiful gate has been healed. Great rejoicing. This man has leapt up and down. The Pharisees have come and arrested him. Verse 7 of that chapter. And when they had placed him in the center, they began to inquire, By what power or in what name have you done this? And then Peter, having a full knowledge of what to respond, being taught by the Lord Jesus Christ, said to them, You rulers and elders of the people... Uh, if we are on trial this day. Did you read that? What did it say? Are you reading your Bible? What did it say? Peter, filled with the Holy Ghost, stood up. Not Peter saying, well, being that I've been with the Lord three and a half years now and having a full knowledge of these things, or let's translate it to our own day. Well, being that I've read the Bible from cover to cover, or being that I've been to Bible school and have a full teaching on these things, or being that I'm in a very spiritual church and I've been taught well, or being that I'm in a... Peter, filled with the Holy Ghost, spoke. See, it wasn't what he knew. It was what had to be said at that moment. And only the Holy Spirit knew what had to be said at that moment. It was not what he knew. It was not what the church taught. It was not the wonderful ethics that we preach. It was a penetrating sword thrust that needed to be preached to those particular men at that particular time. What power or name have you done this? Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, 
you rulers and elders of the people, we are on trial this day for a benefit done to a sick man. As to how this man has been made well, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene, whom you crucified, the courage that these men had. Here they're standing there, their lives could have been taken in a moment. Jesus Christ, the Nazarene, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by this man, this man stands here before you in good health. He is the stone which was rejected by you, the builders, but which became the very cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. Now as they beheld the confidence of Peter and John and understood they were uneducated and untrained men, they were marveling and began to recognize them as having been with Jesus. Now you know why they recognized that power? They were filled with the Holy Spirit. Drop on down here, please, to verse 29. They've all out of prison now. And now, Lord, take note of their threats and grant that thy bondservants may speak thy word with all confidence. While thus extend thy hand to heal, and signs and wonders take place through the name of thy holy servant Jesus. Now, praying to God the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place where they were gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak the word of God with boldness. Now, if anything is more clear than this, here is the operation of God. They prayed, O God, I pray in the name of thy holy child Jesus, that you may grant to us that we may be filled with all boldness, that you may stretch forth your hands to heal. And it says the place was shaken, they were all filled with the Holy Ghost, and began to speak the word of God with boldness. See, the word of God, if it's spoken with boldness, is always tied into being filled with the Holy Spirit. And if you get to where you're not filled with the Holy Spirit, you will not speak the word of God with boldness. And as a matter of fact, you will not speak it at all. You'll become intimidated by the world around you. You will stop witnessing. You will stop giving a vital witness of the Lord Jesus Christ. You will become the most wonderful people in all of Eureka. But you will stop being witnesses. You'll be ethically pure. You'll be kind and sweet and gentle and full of good works and dead. It is only the Holy Spirit that keeps us vitally alive. And that vitality is that witness. Now we'll see when we get to a little bit more here why that is so. All right, go with me please now to Acts the fifth chapter. And Ananias, sin comes into the church here. Ananias and Sapphira decide that they're going to tell a falsehood. But a certain man named Ananias with his wife Sapphira sold a piece of property and kept back some of the price for himself with his wife's full knowledge and bringing a portion of it, he laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to God? Well, that's true in a way. But he lied to someone specifically who was God. Who did he lie to? lied to the Holy Spirit, and to keep back some of the price of the land. While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not under your control? Why is it that you have conceived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to men, but to God. And when he heard these words, he fell down dead. Now, eight, and Peter responded, or he's speaking now to his wife, tell me whether you sold the land for such and such a price. And she said, yes, that was the price. And Peter said to her, Why is it that you have agreed together to put the Spirit of the Lord to the test? Behold, the Spirit of those who have buried your husband are at the door, and they shall carry you out as well. As well. And she fell immediately at his feet and breathed at last. And the young men came in and found her dead. They carried her and buried her beside her husband. And great fear came upon the whole church and all who heard these things. Operate for the Holy Spirit. Verse 32. Start at verse 31. He is the one whom God exalted... To his right hand is a prince and a savior to grant repentance to Israel and the forgiveness of sins. And we are his witness of these things, and so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. Now, Peter is gone. 
John is gone. Paul, even who saw Christ by being caught up the third, is gone. There are no living witnesses today to the resurrection of Jesus Christ except one witness. Who is that witness? The Holy Spirit. And you will never be able to give an effective witness of your salvation or the Lord's salvation or of God's truth without the Holy Spirit operating in your life. See, that's why you must pray to be filled with the Holy Spirit. You must seek God to be filled with the Holy Spirit. It is the courage that you need, the strength you need, the anointing that you need, the power that you need. Then your words may be very soft or they may be very loud or they may be broken and stumbling or you may be preaching in a foreign language or a poor translator but somehow it will come across loud and clear that Jesus Christ is Lord of all and this person needs to repent and be saved. See, that's what wins men to Jesus Christ. Now therefore, your prayer every day needs to be, Lord, keep me filled with your Holy Spirit. And I want to be filled with your Holy Spirit. I want to know the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, reveal yourself to me. Show yourself to me. And in showing me about Christ and in showing me about the Father, show me also about yourself. I want to know you in a personal way. Because you can see, if you look in the book of Acts or the book of all the epistles, Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, everywhere he is found operating. All right, now let's turn to Acts 7. Stephen here now is under the gun. They're threatening to kill him. They want a testimony from him. In verse 51 here, You men who are stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears are always resisting the Holy Spirit. You're doing just as your fathers did. So the Old Testament Pharisees and the people of Israel resisted the Holy Spirit. He was saying, do this. No, no, we will not do that. Now, in the same way, I tell you, the Holy Spirit speaks to the church today. See, does he tell you to do something? You feel that urging to do something? No, I'm not going to do that. Well, I know I should, but I'm not going to do that. Well, I think, well I'm just not going to do that. Well, I just haven't... I, I, see, the same Spirit can take over in our lives that took over those old people Testament. They didn't start off... You read about what the Pharisees did. They started off with holy good motives. They started off to uphold the law and to, to make sure that people were never in idol worship again and they were in the right place. And the right. But little by little, they began to resist the Holy Spirit. They couldn't just listen to him and do what the Word of God said. They had to add other things to it and add other things to it. And finally, Jesus said, Your tradition, your laws have made void the law of God. They became the enemy of God because they resisted the Holy Spirit. And I tell you, we can learn to do exactly the same thing. Or... We become deaf to the Holy Spirit. We don't resist him. We just don't hear him. We don't hear him because we don't want to hear him. See, Lord, teach me. Let me hear that still, small voice. Now, go on from here. Where are we there? Acts, uh, yeah, 54. Now, when they heard this, they were cut to the quick, and they began gnashing their teeth at him. But he, being full of the Holy Spirit, there's the same principle, gave him courage for death. He gazed intently unto heaven. His eyes wrote me out of revelation, saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, Behold, I see the heavens opened up and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. And they cried out with a loud voice and covered their ears, and they rushed upon him with one impulse. And when they had driven him out of the city, they began stoning him. And the witnesses laid aside their robes at the feet of a young man named Saul. And they went on stoning Stephen as he called upon the Lord Jesus and said, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling on his knees, he cried with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And having said this, he fell asleep. Now, that's a remarkable, a remarkable happening. You take it 
you're caught by these evil men. Innocent, you've done no wrong, you're dragged out of the city, you give the best witness you can, and now they stop their ears and they rush upon you and they begin stoning you. You think the natural thing is to say, Lord, I just pray that you do not lay this sin against their charge and uh, I pray that you save them and I pray that you... Oh, that isn't human, folks. That isn't human. You know what it is? God in heaven, bring your wrath down upon them. Lord, I pray that you make them pay for this. Do you see the evil they're doing? Almighty God will you... But he, being filled with the Holy Spirit, he saw Jesus Christ, and it was reminded him what the Lord did when he went and hung on the cross. And then he turns around to those men that are stoning him, and the rock's hitting him, maybe already smashed his face, and he's saying, Lord Jesus, I pray that you lay not this sin to their charge. Don't count that against the Lord. And so saying, he fell asleep. Now, you know how that was done? Holy Spirit. See, we cannot live the life we need to live without the operation of the Holy Spirit. Now, the work of the Holy Spirit, too many people try to get a good outside Christian life. And so we work real hard on that. You know, so if the church says, you know, we don't smoke, we don't chew, we don't go over girls who do that little poem I love to quote because it comes out of my youth. See, that type of thing. Then we try to work, okay, now I've overcome smoking and now I've overcome chewing and now I don't go with girls who do and now I'm... See, and so we go through this whole routine of developing this wonderful outward expression, which, by the way, if you're really filled with the Lord, this outward expression will certainly line up to God's picture of a godly man or a godly woman. I will tell you that. You will not be doing things that bring reproach on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, you will drop off everything. Paul says, I'll either eat meat nor drink wine as long as the world stands. If it causes my brother to be stumbled or to be offended or to fall, I will not do it. But see, just doing it on the outside is what most people do. Okay, and we become like ascetics or like when James Durkin makes up his mind to do something, I have the will. I have now dropped off this and dropped off that and dropped off this and dropped off that. And then here's some person out here, maybe not as strong as me so in the so-called willpower area, and I look at them and say, look at these dogs. Can they even get to heaven with such weaknesses? And, they, and we become very Pharisaical. That's what the Pharisees were. They were very strong. And they look at these sinners, Israelites, about them and say, look at these born in sin. And they, now the work of the Holy Spirit is to enter into sinful people who have repented, but are still all messed up in their heads and lives and personalities and natures, and they don't know whether they're coming or going, and they're weak, and they're filled with all kinds of stinking habits, but they're humble people, and say, Lord, let your Holy Spirit enter into me and change me. And the Holy Spirit comes in. Now, the work of the Spirit is to come into us, see, and to begin working on the inside of our lives. And one of the first things the Holy Spirit does when we're baptized in the Holy Spirit... Acts 2, 4, that I was reading about last time, it says they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and they began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now, I've often asked myself, why other tongues, O Lord? So on that day of Pentecost, they came out, and you'll find that six or seven more times through the book of Acts. Paul comes up to a group of men and says, have you received the Holy Spirit since you believe? So we have not even heard whether there be a Holy Spirit. He says, what were you baptized to then? They said, the baptism of John. They hadn't even heard about Christ. So he preaches Christ to them, tells them about the baptism, baptizes them in the name of the Lord Jesus, and then lays hands on them. They fill the Holy Spirit and begin to speak with other tongues. So you find this strange phenomenon of speaking in other tongues all the way through the Bible. We'll talk about that more at length. But tongues are a very important thing. It's really a very evident sign of the Holy Spirit's entering for a particular reason it's a sign. There's one instrument in the body 
that is mentioned by God very clearly, many times in the Bible, but very clearly in the New Testament as well, it's the one part of our being that has never been tamed, nor can it be tamed by any man. It is an unruly evil, the Bible says, full of deadly venom and so forth, and they're just spewing out evil things toward people. What is that thing? Who can tell me? It's the tongue. Now here the Holy Spirit is symbolizing to the world and all who will listen and say, do you see what I have done? I have taken this person, this weakling, this person who was a very great sinner, his life has been changed, he has received Jesus, now he's cried out to be filled with my person, my spirit, myself. I have entered into him and I have taken over what man could not do, I have taken over fully. And I have given him a new tongue, which he has never learned, which his intellectual processes have never grasped, no practice, and instantly this man is speaking. And what is he speaking? Foolishness or gibberish? No, the Bible says, even in tongues of men or angels, he is praising and blessing God. They prayed for them that they might be filled with the Holy Spirit. They prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit, for he had not yet fallen upon any of them. They had simply been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Now they received the word, they were saved, they had been baptized in water, they were a part of the church, but they needed something more than that. They needed to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Now when Simon saw that the Spirit was bestowed through the laying on of the hands, and he understood about the Holy Spirit, but he understood that he couldn't do that, the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money, saying, Give this authority to me as well, so that everyone in whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. Peter said to him, May your silver perish with you, because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. You have no part or portion in this matter, for your heart is not right before God. Therefore repent of this wickedness of yours and pray that the Lord, if possible, the intention of your heart may be forgiven. For I see you are in the gall of bitterness and the bondage of iniquity. But Simon said, Pray to the Lord for me yourself, so that nothing of what you said has come upon me. See, the Holy Spirit, very important in the early church to be poured out. Acts 9.31, the fear of the Lord and the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it speaks about after the churches. Acts 11.22-24, talks about again, full of the Holy Spirit, speaking about Barnabas. Acts 15, James speaks, says, Seem to the good to the Holy Spirit and to us. Acts 16, 6 and 7 says the Holy Spirit stopped them, then the Holy Spirit moved them in a certain direction. Acts 19, 2 to 5, this is the one I just spoke to you about. In Acts 20, 28, it says the flock over which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Now, when the Holy Spirit comes in, there are certain things that you and I don't know how to do. See, I think of myself, I think I know how to praise God. But folks, I don't. I can get down on my hands and knees, or I can walk down the street, or I can be in a car, and I say, Father, I praise you. And I just thank you, Lord. And I'm, I'm blessed to be a Christian. And I, you're so wonderful and you're so good. And, but pretty soon I find myself kind of going over the same track. I can't rise above my humanity. I can't rise above, though I love poetry, I'm not a poet. And I don't, I don't know how that works. I just know that I love to read poetry and I love to read it to others. But somehow my mind never rises up. I'm kind of like a earthbound creature. My mind works in very kind of mechanical channels, and I analyze things, and I just kind of clunk along at some level here, unless something changes within me. I don't know how to pray as I ought. I get out and pray, oh Lord, I pray that you bless the people of this church, and I pray, Father, that you, you help them, and Lord, I pray for this person or that person. I pray that you, you help them this marriage problem they're having. I pray that you help them heal this person here, Lord. And I pray that you, I go around, I pray like that. But I never am able to rise up like, mm, like I picture myself being able to do sometimes. I used to pray about, Lord, what is wrong? 
I remember after I was filled with the Holy Spirit, there seemed to be a, like a little breaking out. Then I remember one time somebody was talking to me and they said, uh, well, Jim used to speak a lot in tongues, but he doesn't speak much. And I said, oh, I, I don't know. You know, I've been thinking about that, and that seems kind of foolish to me. In a way, just go around there kind of jabber, 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 like that. And I tell you, my prayer life started to dry up. It took about three, four weeks, and I couldn't even, when I got down, I'd just get down and go, oh, oh, oh. And then I began to read the Bible again. And I began to run across what the Bible had to say about speaking in other tongues, what it does for us. See, some interior work that has to take place first. And then I got down before God and I said, Lord, I have sinned greatly against you. And I know I've sinned against the Holy Spirit. I've done it ignorantly and foolishly and stupidly with no intention of heart, God. And I pray you hold it not against me. But Lord, I pray that if you can open me up and give me once again the gift of tongues, that I will use it as the best you show me how to do it. And then I tell you, just as sure as I'm here as kneeling at an altar up at Hoopaw, California, a little Indian mission church I was going to at that time, Assembly of God, knelt down and I heard a voice very clearly beside me said, Speak now. And I hear this marvelous gift of tongues broke out again. And man, for an hour, I just worshiped and praised God, speaking in other tongues very powerfully. Never have stopped the practice of that ever since. Now, why is that so? Well, turn with me, please, now to the book of Corinthians. Turn right to the 14th chapter. 1 Corinthians 14th chapter. Pursue love. Now here, this is one of the most misunderstood chapters in the entire Bible because some people think this is a chapter against speaking in tongues. It is not a chapter against speaking in tongues. If anything, it's a chapter about speaking in tongues. Pursue love, yet desire earnestly spiritual gifts, but especially that you may prophesy. For one who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men, but to God. Now, do you have that? When you speak in tongues, who do you speak to? See, if you can get that in your mind, then you would know any time that you are speaking in tongues, there is going a message, not out of you, not that you're thinking up, but that the Holy Spirit is moving upon you, because you couldn't speak in tongues one second without the Holy Spirit controlling and directing that tongue. See, you still don't know that language. How many of you speak in tongues? Can I see your hands? All right. Have you got the language all memorized now? Know what that means? See, and so, yeah, I know what that means. That means, uh, you don't know what that means at all, because you don't know if it's a tongue of men or angels and uh, so forth and so on. Don't know what that means at all. But the Bible says when you speak, when the Holy Spirit moves upon you, or you let him move upon you, or say, Lord, I want to praise you. I can't do it well enough in the English language. I, I'm, I'm earthbound. My poor old intellect is trying to process these words, and it just won't get very far, Lord. Take over here. And then the next thing, you begin praising God in tongues. Don't expect, my wife sits next to me. If she hears that, she doesn't understand what's going on. I'm not speaking to her. Who am I speaking to? I'm speaking to God. See, when I'm down here praying, no one here, oh, I'm praying in tongues. I'm not speaking to anybody else. I'm speaking to God. And it's a very clear message here. He that speaks in tongues does not speak to men but to God, for no one understands, but in his spirit he speaks mysteries. Now I tell you, some of us, the only, we never speak mysteries, or very seldom. We don't understand what this is all about. We don't practice it in any real vital way. I thank God I do. See, like Paul said, I thank God I speak in tongues more than you all. Now, it's a, it's a very interesting that this is the chapter where he says that, and it's interesting that people say, well, this is a chapter against speaking in tongues. Paul didn't believe in speaking in tongues. I thank God I speak in tongues more than you all. 
exactly. He did it all the time. Why? Because two things he wanted to do. Or three things he wanted to do. One I'll bring to you a little bit later. One, he wanted to speak directly to God in a language that lifted him up beyond this little old punk computer intellect here. See that intellect like, oh, the fan is blowing on me. I want the wind to stop. I wonder what I should do. Oh, I know. I will push the switch and then it will not do that anymore. Click. Very powerful. Boy, that's brilliant. See, because an amoeba wouldn't know to do that, and a rock wouldn't know to do that, but I knew to do that. This is brilliant. But now I want to talk to God about how wonderful he is. Oh, man, what a clod. Lord, you're wonderful. Lord, you're great. Lord, you're sweet. Oh, that's great. It's like a little baby. Just, eh. Then he says, let me have your tongue. Let me tell you what you should say to God in the Spirit. You won't understand it, but later you'll see it, because in the Spirit you're going to speak mysteries, but in the heaven you're going to be understood just as clearly as can be. God will hear you. Nobody understands, but you'll be edified. Isn't that wonderful? How could you be edified when you don't understand? Shows you the intellect doesn't understand that. must not be too good. But one who prophesies speaks to men for edification. Now we're talking about in the church. I'm not going to stand up here and say, you know, some, I hear I speak in tongues and, uh, some, one man, I saw him do that for an hour one time. And he preached the whole sermon in tongues. And at first it sounded very powerful, you know, like, you know, at first I said, this is going to be heavy. So I'm listening after a while, like after a while I'm preaching. And after about 45 minutes, it's like, is he never going to quit? You know, see. Now, in the spirit, oh, he was having a wonderful life. He was, ah, the rest was like, the whole church was like that. It's like, oh, you know. Okay, so Paul said, don't do that. In the church, speak five words that somebody can understand. Better than 10,000 words nobody can understand. So, in the church... But somebody take that, oh, well, God wants us to be very careful about tongues. No, he doesn't want us to be careful about tongues. He wants us to be very loose with tongues. In cars, walking down the street, at night, wake up speaking in tongues. Go to sleep speaking in tongues. Hallelujah, have a good time. But one who prophesies speaks to men, but the one who speaks in a tongue edifies himself. Oh, how we need to be built up in the Spirit. You talk to some people, how you getting along in the Lord? Well, brother, it's heavy. I say, man, you need to start speaking in tongues right now and keep on for a while until you come up out of that where you can say, I love living for Jesus, hallelujah. See? Now, how many of you ever felt that clottiness? You know what I'm talking about? Right? Now, tell me something. How many of you just love to speak in tongues? A lot of tongues. A lot of tongues. How many of you don't do that too much? All right, now confess. How many of you don't do that too much? Let me see your hands. Yeah, well, I think there's a lot more of you, because I can tell sometimes I walk around and touch your spirits very, very low on the level of breaking loose into that spiritual realm. Now, I wish that you all spoke in tongues. See, now, how could this be a chapter against speaking in tongues? I've always puzzled it. When you read a scripture, I wish you all spoke in tongues. But even more that you would prophesy... And greater is the one who prophesies than he who speaks in tongues, unless he interprets, so that the church may receive the edifying. See the emphasis he's making. But now, brethren, if I come to you speaking in tongues, what shall I profit you? So the whole point there is the revelation in the church. That should be, if we're in America speaking the English language, but when we're by ourselves, 
then it's time to let that internal thing begin working in us. There's another scripture here that I want. Verse 13, Therefore let one who speaks in a tongue pray that he may interpret. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, and my mind is unfruitful. What is the outcome then? I shall pray with the spirit, and I shall pray with the mind also. I shall sing with the spirit, and I shall sing with the mind also. Otherwise, if you bless in the Spirit only, how will the one who fills the place of the ungifted... See, once again, he's talking about the church. How will the place of the one ungifted say, Amen, at your giving of thanks, since he does not know what you are saying? For you are giving thanks well, but the other man is not edified. I thank God I speak in tongues more than you all. Now, what do you think he did when he walked along the road? Now, let's kind of get a picture of Paul walking along the road. He's going, and he's got 500 miles of walking ahead of him. What do you think he said? Oh, boy. Heavy, long walk, man. This is a real drag. Or do you think he did something else? See, now, he's talking to this church, and if ever was a tongues-talking church, this Corinthian church was a tongues-talking church. I mean, they were into it. Even in church, they'd come and they'd preach whole sermons there. That's what this church did. Or they'd get up and give these wild messages in tongues, nobody interpret, and the people come in and say, these guys are all crazy. And if there was an unsaved person here, or one not used to any Pentecostal manifestation, and I stood up here and I preached a whole message in tongues, and everybody jumped up and you all respond in tongues, waving your hands at me. People got to say, whee, let me out of here. See? And they'd be right. They'd be crazy. We're not crazy people. We're intelligent, rational people carrying on the work of God here. But I'll tell you something. When Paul was alone, when Paul was in a place where he could do it, he was able to say as he practiced this marvelous gift of being edified from within. That's why there was such a dynamic in his life. That's why he couldn't be repressed. That's why the power worked in his life the way he did. He practiced this wonderful gift of speaking in other tongues, speaking to God, not to men, edify himself in the Spirit. The Bible says in another place, we know not how to pray as we ought. See, now here again is the work of the Holy Spirit, Romans 8. We know not how to pray as we ought. Then what happens? The Holy Spirit himself prays through us. And how does he do it? In the English language, clear, resonant tones that everyone can hear. No Bible says it even passes beyond tongues, where no tongues are even being said. The Bible in the Old Testament calls when Zion travails, she'll bring forth fruit. What does the Bible say about that praying? It's with groanings which cannot be uttered. The Bible over in the book of Jude says, praying always in the Holy Ghost, building yourself up in him. Praying always in the... Now, what is this praying in the Holy Ghost? That's praying in tongues. That's praying in those groanings. That's allowing God to take over your inner being. Now, I tell you, when the Holy Spirit starts working from the inside out, then don't worry about what happens on the outside. It'll be evident to everybody. The life of the Holy Spirit will influence your hands. So they won't be seen taking somebody's money. They won't be seen touching a woman where you should not be, or a man. They will not be seen opening books you should not be opening. They will not be seen writing letters. Your tongue will not be heard spitting out vituperation against some brother or some sister. You will not hear those things. Your eyes being filled with the Holy Spirit will not be looking where they should not be looking. Your life will be transformed from the inside out by allowing the Holy Spirit to work in that life. You understand what I've said here this morning? Amen. And let's bow our heads in a word of prayer. Hallelujah. Because we want the Holy Spirit to work in us. Now, Heavenly Father, here we're back in English because this is where we are in this church. But Lord, my spirit cries out just to break out in 
praise you and a pay on a grace and praise. But I know you hear my spirit. Lord, I want our people to be filled with the Holy Spirit, and I always want to be filled with the Holy Spirit, Lord. I want to walk in the Holy Spirit. I want everyone here to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. I want them to have the gift of a, a prayer language, or maybe many prayer languages, Lord, depending on how you move. I've heard my language change from time to time as one thing or another was called upon by you, and I want that for all of this people here, Lord. And not only for the people here, but, Lord, the people wherever it shall be, that they will hear this message. Lord, that they'll begin practice these things in a vital way. Lord, long car trips will no longer be boring, dead car trips, but to be places to talk to you in the spirit, Lord, as well as with the mind. Lord, when they're home alone and they have nothing to do, women that are washing dishes or taking care of children or men that are working on repetitious jobs, Lord, can quietly be talking to you in the spirit. Lord, and carrying on their jobs at the same time, Lord. Being edified, being built up, being lifted up. So, Lord, their jobs will no longer be drags, and the home life will no longer be a drag, and the children will no longer be a torment, Lord. But life together will be a joy in the Spirit. And then, Lord, when a husband and wife that are filled with the Spirit all day long come and meet together at night, it'll be a home filled with joy. And children raised up in a home that is filled with the Holy Spirit, Lord. Let it be that way, gracious Father. Let this church be a spiritual church, Lord. Let us not try to do the good works which we've set our hearts to do without the Holy Spirit being the one who empowers us and guides us, Lord. We want to be endued with power from on high. Grant that, Father. Father, I pray in Jesus' name for that peculiar anointing of the Holy Spirit that, Lord, is the minister's gift, the ability to take the Word of God and make it clear be some kind of a vehicle, Father, by which you, through the Holy Spirit, and in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, can encourage the hearts of your people, enlighten their minds, release their spirits, that they might have all the fullness that you have intended for your people. And Lord, I see how Satan tries to blind us in certain areas or confuse us on certain topics, so one thing looks like another when in fact it is two different things or many different things that you're speaking of, Lord. So help us in our work as ministers, our work as varieties of gifts within the church to do that which is required of us, Father. We ask these things now, Lord, in Jesus' precious name. Amen. This message is entitled, The Promise of the Father, continuing on with the idea of the Holy Spirit. But I have a subtopic that I want to discuss today, and that is the endowment of the Holy Spirit. What the Holy Spirit endues us with. There is an aspect of his working in our lives that for most people this is overlooked, not understood, and therefore in certain areas of their life, when it comes their time, and it comes time for all of us either to accomplish something or resist something, we find we are neither able to accomplish it nor resist the pressure which comes against us. And if it is not grasped by the church and allow the Holy Spirit to work in that area of our lives, then in that area of accomplishing, see the area of dreams, many people never carry out their dreams, and it isn't that they don't have valid dreams, they lack something which enables them to carry out the dream. And many times they end up bitter at other people, thinking it's, well, this person didn't help me, that person didn't help me, 
One of the great deliverances of my life came years ago when I said, henceforth, I will blame no one for where I am. In other words, if I have failed, it is because of the decisions that I have made and the relationship to God that I personally have. Not been what other people did to me or what they stopped me from doing. Because the Bible makes clear, if God be for you, who can be against you? See, now, if God says, I tell you I want this done, and you understand and grasp that properly, then he's saying, not the armies of this world, not all the devils in the heavenlies are in hell itself, not the church if it were to turn against you, which it does not, but sometimes it doesn't see to come and help you in a way you think you should be helped. See, well, here's what the church should do for me because I have this great dream and vision idea, and here's what you should do. And it doesn't happen that way because the church may be off, some part of it here, some part of it here, each with their own vision or dream. All of it in the end, coming together, would be one grand happening in God for this generation, this church, this city, this world. But because we don't understand the peculiar operation of the Holy Spirit, we therefore lack power to accomplish the dream that we have. The same thing in warfare. Satan comes against us, now there's a certain place that the church ought to help us out. We lose our jobs, the church ought to help us out in a certain charitable way, for a time or a place or a certain limit. But maybe a person is used to living on 2000 a month or 2500 whatever their salaries would bring in, or 18 1200 whatever it is. Then they lose their job. Maybe the church is only able to help them to the extent of a half or a third or a quarter, or just some food, and they say, well, the church didn't help me, therefore... And then they are not able to stand up against the pressure that's upon them, and they begin to crumble under that load, and blame the church, blame the world, blame the government, and become sour and bitter people, both because they're not able to carry out or are they able to resist the pressures which are upon them. Now, the work of the Holy Spirit in the aspect that I'm speaking about is to do something in our lives which gives us the ability to carry out exactly those two areas, to accomplish the dream that God has given us to resist the pressures that are against us. And this element we'll speak about, the Holy Spirit. I would like you to turn with me now in your Bibles, because I want us to carry this through, follow the scriptural premise here. First of all, I want to take who this promise is for. So when we get through, you want to say, well, maybe the gift isn't for me. Now, who the promise is for. This baptism of the Holy Spirit, this infilling of the Holy Spirit, this spilling out of the Holy Spirit that I've been speaking about, who this promise is for. I want you to turn to the book of Acts, and we're going to look at the second chapter. And it'll be verse 38. To give you a little background here, Peter has just stood up and preached to the people in Jerusalem. You remember there were proselytes from every nation out of heaven. They were all hearing the word of God being preached here. Now, these people in verse 37 said, Now when they heard this, they were pierced to the heart and said to Peter and to the rest of the apostles, Brethren, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent, and let each one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Now, we're familiar with that. Repent. Then you receive the Lord Jesus. Now be baptized in water. We carry that out. For the forgiveness of your sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you. Now he's speaking to that group of people there. You, your children. And I point out to you today... Are you encouraging and enlightening your children that the baptism of the Holy Spirit is for them? Because many of God's choice workers have been baptized in the Holy Spirit when they were three, four, five years of age. They would say, well, I'll tell them about it when they're 20. Don't wait till they're 20. Wouldn't it be wonderful to grow up being filled with the Holy Spirit? 
They shouldn't have to wait till they're 20 and say, oh, suddenly, I want to tell you why you've had all the troubles you've had in your life because you're lacking this and I'm going to give this revelation. It's like, Daddy, Mom, why didn't you tell me about this? Because they can be baptized in the Holy Spirit when they are very young. Now, the promise is for you and your children, for all who are far off, both in time and geography, even as many as the Lord our God shall call to Himself. Now, who is the promise to? Well, let's see, you. If I were saying in this modern day, your children, all that are far off, both in time and geography. So when I went down to Guatemala years ago, I said, have you preached them about the baptism in the Holy Spirit? They said, well, no, uh, because of this reason and that reason. Uh, you know, they come from a different denomination, have a different background, they're more conservative. I said, it doesn't matter what background they come from. I couldn't imagine a background more conservative than the Jewish religion. Very conservative, law-bound. They were in this area here, and here they were introducing a completely new theme, although the Bible was full of it. Completely new theme. Well, then they said, you preach on it. I preached on it, and then the thing is opened up, and today that is a mighty operation of the Holy Spirit down there. Because I knew something. It is not just to me. It is not just to my children. It is not just to you or your children. It's as many as are far off. Well, that doesn't matter where we're talking about far off in Guatemala, far off in Africa, far off in Asia, far off in the North Pole. And I preach this message everywhere that I go. Have you been filled with the Holy Spirit since you believe? It's a very vital part of Christian experience, Christian living. Have you been? Well, uh, they don't uh, they receive it. You see, it's more difficult. No, it is not more difficult. Preach the message. You preach, preach the message. And here, just people after people were baptized in the Holy Spirit. Even those that are far off, not only in geography, but also in time. Is it true 2,000 years later that the gift of the Holy Spirit is still for us? Why, of course, hallelujah. So people are still being baptized and filled with the Holy Spirit. Who shall be filled with the Holy Spirit? Unto you all. There is no difference. Guys say, well, you get the baptism, and I pick you because you're really nice, and you've got a special gift, and I'm going to let you. No, the gift is unto you and your children. Unborn, yes, unborn children. Far off, far off, in time, in everyone. Here's the only key. Even as many as the Lord our God shall call to himself. Are you saved? Then the gift of the Holy Spirit is for you. And you should experience this baptism in the Holy Spirit. It is a vital thing. Now let's see why it becomes vital. We'll take a few more scriptures to understand this. Now let's turn to Acts 1. Go back a little bit. Who was to be baptized in the Holy Spirit? Who was there? Now, Acts 1, and I'm going to make some references to an earlier message. I hope you're here. If not, you can look it up for yourself. You will have no trouble finding it. Jesus now is getting ready to be taken back to the Father. He speaks to his disciples. They're asking him about, will you at this time uh, restore the kingdom and so forth? Jesus here has just spoken in verse 4, which he said, you have heard from me, for John baptized with water. But ye shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days hence from now. Verse 6. And so when they had come together, they were asking him, saying, See, they didn't have it in their mind. We're going to be baptized with the Holy Spirit? This is the great promise? You mean that we could actually be? You mean that we could? They were like dull. Just like Satan tries to dull our minds today. I say, you can be filled with the Holy Spirit. And people say, uh... I wonder uh, if we're going to have a depression soon. Or what do you think uh, the future is going to hold with uh, 
the Antichrist? Or do you think about, there is no promise on this earth to be compared and no revelation to be compared, outside of the fact that you're already saved, Jesus Christ, the great revelation. But now, the promise of the Father is to come upon you and you are to be, and we'll talk about what that is to be. So he's making this very clear. But see, Satan dulls the mind quickly. Don't think about that. Think about the temple. Think about the epics. Think about anything but the promise of the Father. Because if you are endued with that promise of the Father, something will happen in you or can happen in you, is meant to happen in you, if you cry out for that with all of your heart. The day you search me with your whole heart, I'll be found of you, he says. All right. For John baptized with water, ye shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days hence. So when they had come together, they were asking him, Lord, is it at this time you are restoring the kingdom of Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know the times. Other, forget that. In the right time, you'll know all about that. Which the Father is fixed by his own authority. But then Christ comes right back to the main subject on his heart. Ought to be the subject on your heart, my heart. But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and ye shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and even unto the remotest parts of the earth. And after he had said these things, last thing again, he was taken up into heaven. See, now, well, what about come back to this main subject? I want you filled with the Holy Spirit. This great promise of the Father is to come upon you, receive the Holy Spirit. But how about the Holy Spirit? Oh, the Holy Spirit. Now, go and see for him. Now, let's take a look at verse 12. Who was there? Then they returned to Jerusalem from the Mount of Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey away. A group that was out there. And when they had entered, they went into an upper room where they were staying. That is, now who was there? Peter was there. This great apostle who had walked with Jesus for three and a half years, he had to be there. He said, well, certainly I am prepared. I've been three and a half years in the Bible school of the Lord Jesus Christ himself. Tell me, anybody get better training than that? No, nobody could get better training than that. But he was lacking something very vital in his life. James was there. Andrew was there. Philip was there. Thomas was there. Bartholomew Matthias. James, the son of Alphaeus. Simon the Zealot. Judas, the son of James. These all with one mind were continually devoting themselves to prayer along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. Now imagine this. The very one who in the beginning the power of the Most High came upon Mary, the mother of Jesus, this holy, godly woman who had been picked out of all the women on earth to bear the Son of God into the world, truly a godly woman, filled with the Holy Spirit in the earlier part in a certain way, lacking this mighty fulfillment over here. She was also there praying to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, if you can see the powerful conclusion that must be drawn here, she was not exempt, the apostles were not exempt, that 120 were there, they knew what Christ finally meant. How about the epics, Lord? Forget the epics, be filled with the Holy Spirit. How about forget that, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Do not depart from Jerusalem until you are filled. Is Mary exempted? No. Are the women exempted? No. Are the apostles exempted? No. Are we exempted? No. Let that be in your heart. Let that be. If those men needed it, I need it. If those women need it, I need it. If they needed it, then we need it more. We need to be filled. We need to be baptized. We need to be saturated. We need to be endued with that power from on high. And without that, 
See, that was the dynamic of the early part of the movement. Now, I was startled last week when I said, how many of you do not speak in tongues? How many of you are not baptized? And a third of the church raised its hand. I say to myself, a third of the church raised their hand. They are not filled with the Holy Spirit. What will it be in five years? If I make that again, will two-thirds raise their hand? And then one day, no one will raise their hand. Or everyone will raise their hand. They have not experienced this dynamic which set the church on the course for hundreds of years. Until men came along theologically and proved that you don't need that experience. Or that's gone now. Or this is done away with. Or this is different. Or now this is... And then 1906, glorious, wonderful God restored it again to his people. And it's been multiplying mightily in the earth ever since. See, it was the foundation of our own blessing and power in God. Mary and his brothers were there. And then verse 15, well, it's 120, just describes that. Now, what is the purpose of the gift? This particular work of God is confused by design of Satan. Now, let this sink into your minds. This particular work that I'm speaking of is confused by design, and Satan does it. And the purpose of it is, is to get you thinking about it in a certain way. This baptism of the Holy Spirit. So you won't think about it correctly. It is not the work of the Holy Spirit, the baptism that I'm speaking about, is not to produce a sweet disposition. See? Some people say, well, I don't see what you mean about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I know people who don't speak in tongues. I know people who uh, just don't believe in this at all. And they have the sweetest disposition, most wonderful fruits of the Spirit that you'd ever imagine in a person. That's right. That's the fruit of the Spirit. If you had gone to Anna, it's in the book of Luke, first chapter, the one who always devoted herself to God in prayers and fastings, the one who was a prophetess before God, the one who came up and saw the Lord Jesus and began to speak wonderful things about him, I don't think you'd have found a woman more sweet than Anna was. I don't think you'd have found a woman more wonderful to know as a person who would talk about God maybe all of the time. But she was not baptized in the Holy Spirit, for the Holy Spirit had not yet been given. She was a good person. A spiritual person, a fine person, a person of integrity, but not baptized with the Holy Spirit. So her ministry had a very limited kind of power to it. Now, next statement here. It is not to produce personal integrity. If you speak about personal integrity, I don't think you could speak about a man with more personal integrity than Job had. The Bible said in all of this, the things that came upon him, the destruction of his family, the ruin of his fortune, the ruin of his health, his friends turning against him, the attacks on his personal life were made, implications about him that he was a sinner and somehow there were deep evil things that he had been doing and now the hand of God had come against him and this is what he deserved. His own relatives forsook him. His wife said, curse God and die. He was a lonely man if ever men were lonely men. And yet God says about Job, in all this, he did not break his integrity. Now that's integrity. But though he had this great integrity, he was not baptized in the Holy Spirit, the Lord having reserved that promise for us. The Bible says they saw these things. They yearned after them. They cried out for them. But they could not have them. God having provided some better thing for us. That they, without us, should not be made perfect. So here his disciples are. People have been touched by the Spirit. The Spirit has come into them. They've been filled for a moment with the Spirit. He leaves. 
Then Jesus said, Behold, I send something that you have never experienced and this world has never known. The church has not known. Godly men have not known. Angels have desired to look into. I go back to my Father. No, He said, It is necessary for you that I go away. For if I go not away, the Holy Spirit will not come. You must be endued with power. You must be filled. You must be baptized. This is the promise of my Father which I send upon you. See, well, I say, Lord, then, I'm beginning to get what you're saying. You're cutting this out and holding it up as something far away and beyond anything else that I can look at here. Now, let's look at another scripture. People say, that, well, this person must be filled with the Spirit. They must be, because they have great insight into the Bible. Well, insight in the Bible is not what we're talking about here. See, if you could understand, let these scriptures speak to you. See, here is Anna, beautiful disposition. Certainly, I could have said Mary had a wonderful disposition. I'm sure she wasn't a shrew and a whatever else. And, uh, you know, just, ah! And the Lord said, well, in spite of the fact that you're just loud-mouthed and boisterous and yell and curse and yell, I'm going to pick you for the mother of our Lord. No. She was a holy, godly, decent, fine woman. God said, most favored of women, God has chosen you. What is this that he should choose me? And then she was filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak. See? And then Elizabeth, another fine, godly, decent woman, full of faith. She didn't have the Holy Spirit in a sense that we're speaking about here. God having reserved that gift for you. Mary couldn't have it. Not at that time. Later she would have it. After her son died, rose again, she knew who he was in fullness. And she would be in that upper room. She would be there with Peter and James and John, crying out, saying, Oh, my son, my Lord, fill me too. See? She was saying, Well, I bore the Lord. I'm not supposed to be here. I have all the gifts I need. I have uh, understanding. I carried it. I want, it. I want this gift. See? Now she understood that. And I pray, God, that this church understands this fully and completely what the power, the beauty, the majesty, the necessity of that gift is in our lives. All right, now, insight in the Scripture. I want you to turn with me now to Luke 24. Men have had tremendous insights in the Scripture given to them by the Lord himself. And we're going to start now at verse 44. Luke 24, 44. Now he said to them, These are my words which I spoke to you while I was still with you. Hallelujah. That all things which are written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Now wouldn't you like to know everything about the Lord? Now listen to this. That all things were written to me in the law of Moses. Wouldn't you love to be able to read the law of Moses and understand all the things in there applied to the Lord Jesus Christ? Oh, well, that would be wonderful, because the five books of Moses are literally filled with references to the Lord Jesus Christ, but they're symbolized references, and without the Holy Spirit, you will never understand them. And the prophets. So you can read through the prophets and say, oh, I don't understand, I don't understand, I don't understand. Wouldn't you like to understand those in their references toward the Lord Jesus? And the Psalms. Wouldn't you love to understand those? Their references toward the Lord Jesus. Some are clear. Others are very obscure. As a matter of fact, one of the apostles seemed to be able to bring them out. Verse 45, then he opened their minds to understand the Scriptures. So here their minds are open. And we understand, we understand, we understand, we understand, we understand. And people make the mistake of here's someone who understands Scripture and say, oh, man, this man is absolutely must be. No, he may not be baptized in the Holy Spirit at all. 
that is a part of the work of the Holy Spirit. Now, keep in mind, the work of the Holy Spirit, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Because Christ goes right on at this point, verse 46, Thus it is written that Christ should suffer and rise again from the dead the third day, and that repentance and forgiveness of sin should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning in Jerusalem. You are witness of these things, and behold, I am sending forth the promise of my Father upon you, but you are to stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. Now here their minds are enlightened to understand Scripture. And he says, but... Don't you leave here with that understanding of Scripture until something else is yours. What is it? The baptism in the Holy Spirit. That endowment which will transform their lives completely and take knowledge, take understanding, take sweetness of disposition, take integrity, take all the fine qualities that you can find in godly men and godly women and weld it all together and do something with it. Without that something, then our lives will be passive, generally backburner lives, that will be good lives, decent lives, kind lives, until the right kind of pressure hits us. And then many times we find out that our lives crumble under the pressure. We lose our vision. We don't have the faith and the power to endure through the dark moments and the dark times.